Hello and welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, and um, now that we are all back in the country and, and uh, fall has uh, come to town, we are going to make uh, an enormous effort to be more reliable in our scheduling. So um, uh, apologies for the summer. We were a little bit erratic but um we'll get back on our um once once every once a fortnight schedule as uh we pull into the fall and we wanted to start off by um having another uh, sort of go round of new records just because i i think the year um or the years that we've had uh in in our you know in 2020s have uh, lent themselves to um, kind of a, a soft smattering of releases uh, in 20 and 21, and then a deluge of really good stuff in 2022. So I think we're going to keep everybody uh, cr- relatively current on what's going on, and then uh, we're going to uh, do a little book report. Uh, Jeremy and I read the uh, Led Zeppelin, the biography by Bob Spitz, and um we are going to, I'm going to spoil it by saying we're going to recommend it, but we're also going to talk about it in, uh, in depth. And um, so that's going to be the show today. Uh, Jer, what are you listening to? Well, funny you should ask. <clears throat> I agree. 2022 has become a, uh, a can you keep up with all the releases? And, um, you know, as we sort of predicted, and it wasn't a hard prediction by any means, but, you know, a lot of people had probably shelved or, or tabled some albums that um, were recorded during the uh, lockdowns and during the, the lack of touring, and, you know, they all seemed to have been a, a flood of new music. But um, one record I was I was pretty excited about, just because I really loved her last one, is the Australian songwriter uh, Julia Jacqueline, who... Um, just came out with uh, Pre-Pleasures, the new record, and uh, it's off of her 2019, I thought, uh, excellent, and made our list of the end of the year, Crushing. Crushing. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah, was a favorite of, I think, all three of us, actually. Um, yeah, it's still growing on me. I mean, I still listen to that album a Yeah, lot. well, that that's kind of a good segue into what I was going to kind of talk about with, with Pre-Pleasure, and, and uh, I agree, I, I think Crushing was an album that I popped on, and and Doug, and then, you know, would hear again and, and realize, like, how those songs really build and become something bigger than their first uh, take. Um, I heard her first cover the Stroke song, Someday, and uh, hmm. which is kind of my one of my favorite Stroke songs, and I also thought she did a really cool cover of it. It was really stripped down and slow, um, but the song is, you know, very familiar to me, obviously, being a Strokes fan, but... I think it was, she did a, a, a cover in a way that, you know, the song kind of held its own, her version. So if you'd never heard the Strokes original, it, it sort of, you know, had its own staying power. She kind of put her mark on it. And I think pre-pleasure and, and you know, kind of building off of crushing is sonically, you know, expands. It's not necessarily stripped down, but the lyrical content and the songwriting certainly are. She sort of, you know, goes between, you know, kind of uh, what I would, I guess you would, you know, stories about relationships failing and, and, you know, or not, and, uh, you know, kind of real life interactions, as well as what I kind of sense is like an observation of things around you, you know, she's, she's sort of, uh, sounds like she's very much a part of life or, or, and then also observing life as it goes by and, and kind of has a commentary on it, not necessarily, uh, you know, a broad, like, you know, political commentary or anything that very personal. And, and, uh, you know, obviously she's, you know, either singing, you know, via personal experience or, or just a good storyteller and and telling stories about what she sees. But I I thought this record in particular, you know, takes that to the next level. I, uh, I was saying to you offline, we're sort of rolling post Labor Day weekend here and, and uh, rainy, dreary, uh, what feels like fall coming very quickly to New England. And, and I, you know, put the headphones on and, and listen to the record again and certainly fit the mood um, and not in a bad way, but it, it's, a, it's an album that, you know, can be kind of heavy. I think she's that good where she sort of, you know, um, puts you in a different different mindset, you know, depending on, on how you're listening to it. And, and so... Um, I don't know what you think, but uh, it's a record that I, I, I think is going to continue to grow on me, but I, I was really excited, kind of continued what, what she had, what I had thought, you know, was so great about Crushing and, and uh, 
you know, I think this album kicks off like the second song, especially "Love Try Not to Let Go" and and uh, "Ignore mm-hmm. Tenderness." The third song, I thought, were, were really impactful, really good. Yeah, um, the and the the lead track is a great song. I yeah, mean, Lydia wears a cross. It's really good. Yeah, it's such a, um, you know, it does sort of uh, bottle her idiosyncrasies as a songwriter. She is can be very very specific. Um, uh, you know, and it's funny because I toyed with the idea because I, I got really into uh, it was crushing. I love, and it's kind of, you know, it's again both poles of her of her talent, which is, you know, one on the one side she can have a, um, uh, you know, um, what's the you know she can have like a rockin' tune and yep. and you know it's really a pleasure at a party that, that kind of gets yeah going. pleasure at a party that was a song I was trying to remember. And then, you know, How to Keep Loving You is just like, a, you know, a shot to the gut. It's just like such a, um, it's such a great song. And, it, yeah, and again, really it's grown in, yeah, it's just, it's grown in my estimation. It's grown in my appreciation over the course of time. And it's like one of those ones that's gotten to the level where I, I, I kind of want to put this on the playlist. And then I'm like, yeah, I really don't like listening to this song with other people. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's almost like an intimate experience. I feel like. Yeah. And I felt like that today listening to, to pre pleasure. I mean, I know album covers barely matter anymore, but uh, you know, the cover of this album is, is sort of a, what looks like, you know, a poster of, of her, you know, um, looking at a poster of her. poster in her sort of, you know, clinging onto or pressing up against a, a poster of herself. It's which pretty is, funny. It's pretty good. Yeah. And I think too, um, I mean, yeah, the first song, like you mentioned, <clears throat> um, it sort of goes through the, you know, going to a picture, you know, religious school or something. It's got the kind of, uh, you know, early days and, and she's just very vivid in her, her uh, descriptions of stuff and and you know I, I like most artists you have no idea what's personal and what's kind of taken and, and things like that but I think all her albums so far sound very personal whether they're um, mm-hmm. fiction or not she does a really good job of kind of bringing the listener in I don't know that you and Christian got into the the weather station album last year as much as I did but it reminds me a bit of that you know where there's a, a just kind of a, a quiet uh, you know, living room feel, but there's a lot going on when you listen, you know, the, the music is actually a lot more complicated and, and the band is, we, is bigger or, or the players are bigger, but there's just a very like, you know, popping a record on in your living room and, and kind of listening as well experience. Well, there. Did you, did you, uh, did you realize that this was the same producer? I did not. No, um, no, I didn't. Yeah, she actually, she went and lived in Montreal for, the better part of a year to record this album with oh, cool. the uh, person who recorded the Weather Station record. Oh, so, feel, uh, yeah, it does have. Uh, you're right. That it does have a similar feel. Um, uh, and I, you know, I like both, but I, I, I favor, You know, I'm a bit more partial to Julia Jacqueline just because I love the way she writes. Yeah, um, I, I think too. She also what you know plays to our sort of rock pop sensibility a little more too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a one note record by any means, um, but it definitely has an understated feel to it. Well, speaking of um, people who write intimate songs, uh, intimate biographical songs and can rock, uh, the new Ezra Furman record is out, um, All of Us Flames, and she has put out another barn burner, I think. Um, It's funny, I was listening to the first listen I I gave it, I, um, you know, you and I were texting back and forth, and you said, it's kind of got, like, that girl group backbone, Um, I forget, I think it was you, or maybe it was Christian, but it's, you know, sort of the 50s girl group backbone, and and almost like a theatricality, and and the the parallel I drew was, was, uh, you know, going back to my own very controversial um, appreciation for Jim Steinman songs, because they are, you know, they do have that bombast of, like, Springsteen and, you know, 70s people, and I think Ezra Furman does the same thing. There's, like, this, you know, there's, like, this uh, um, confessional quality to the songs and but also there's a there's just a bright poppy sensibility i mean there's like a, like a leader of the pack kind of uh yeah background sort yeah of and, the, and the reason i thought of it is because jim steinman when i you know we died we did this sort of deep dive on him and his two obsessions were car crash songs and and you know phil Spector, 
uh, production. And, and, you know, I mean, like I said, half of the E Street Band plays on Bad Out of Hell. But in, I'm not saying that Ezra Furman sounds anything like Meatloaf, but there is, <laughs> you know, that same sort of propulsive, like, you know, 100% in. There's no, there's no doubting this person's sincerity. Well, I think our underground fave of a couple of years ago, Kyle Kraft, has a similar thing going too. Um, yeah, I and, agree. Uh, you know, Happier, I love Twelve but... Nudes, um, which was also released in 2019, the same year as uh, uh, Julia Jacqueline's uh, Crushing. Mm-hmm. And I thought that record just really, you know, I mean, it, it definitely had a little bit of a sensation in the sort of indie world and, and underground, and and um, and I think this builds off of that in, in a good way. Yeah, the first listen I had, it, it definitely leaned. I, I thought more into you know, kind of the theatrical side, which it can sometimes be a little off-putting for me, but it's um, it's not here, you know, and in, in the same way as kind of some of the stuff you mentioned. I mean, I, I do love the Meatloaf album as well. We're not comparing her to Meatloaf, but um, the other guy that comes to mind is, uh, gosh, and um, Rosenstock, right? Is that right? Yeah, uh, Jeff Rosenstock. Jeff Rosenstock, yeah. No doubt. That guy is, you know, that guy is 100% sold. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. I think they both have that kind of DIY, uh, do-it-yourself sort of style behind that. But yeah, this record is definitely going to get some heavy play. And what, what kind of stands out for you? I, I think you've listened to it more than I have, but I've, I've given it a couple of spins. Um, yeah, I just think, uh, you know, everything, you know, I think there there was an interview I, I, wa- I watched a number of years ago on YouTube um, between the author George Saunders was interviewing Jason Isbell. And Isbell was talking about his songwriting style, and it always, you know, stuck with me. The thing he said, he's like, I want to skate as close as I can to cliche Mm -hmm. without getting there. You know what I mean? I want to skate so close that you're scared that I'm going to do the obvious thing and then not do it. Right. And that's the way I feel like Ezra Furman writes, too, is sort of, I mean, even the first song is like, sounds like a, you know, I mean, it's about a uh, you know, when the train comes through, you know, it's sort of like a, a, that, that that's been used maybe a billion times, you know, um, and it's it's, you know, uh, but it's it sounds fresh. You know, it's it's like there's there's a, there's enough again, close, getting close enough to, you know, either you know, the um, you know, the classical trope or the cliche for, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, but just veering away enough so that you're like, oh, uh, you know, she gets that this is really, uh, close to the line, but then, you know, the departure is worth, you know, makes it worth it. And so that's, you know, I really, I really like that. And then there's just like some great imagery and some great, you know, you can tell that, uh, a lot of these come from, you know, real life. A lot of these stories seem to come from real life. And if they, if they don't, then, you know, consider me happily fooled by it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, I think she's, like, obviously a huge talent and is continuing to be, and, and we're kind of hoping to see her live, I think, at the end of this month or early October. And, um, yeah, I, I think I love just when an artist kind of follows up something, and we just kind of named two in a row here, that you, you really enjoyed the last one. Because there's so much out there, sometimes I... Not that I forget they exist or anything like that. I'm always mm-hmm. excited to hear new releases coming out from somebody I like, but you tend to just get fogged out by the by the just mass amount of, of things that you consume. And um, I was, you know, I didn't hear a lot of hype prior. I think you were like, oh, the new record's great. And I popped it on the other night when I was like cooking dinner and I'm like, oh, it, it is really good, you know? And, yeah. Uh, hence, let's do a pod about it. But um, cool. Do you want to hear something off that record and then talk about a, a sure. couple other ones? Sure. Why don't we... Um... Why don't we listen to uh, Dressed in Black? Sounds good. Another one that skates close and then veers off.
the Brother 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 Pod, and today uh, Wayne and I, after a bit of a summer hiatus of travel and, and uh, COVID and everything else, <laughs> are uh, talking about some new records. And uh, one that I know that you uh, kind of caught your attention is the follow-up album by Kiwi Jr. Um, are they Toronto-based? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Toronto-based. And actually um, produced by Dan Bachner uh, from... Wolf Parade, Wolf Parade and and countless other bands that uh, including the last one that they uh, that he was in I think it was called was it the editors I believe um, so I get that guy's bands I know there's Handsome Furs Wolf Parade I believe the editors I, I know I've seen him yeah. I feel like in four band, different bands <laughs> yeah well last time we saw him we didn't know he was in the band and you go this sounds exactly like Dan Bach <laughs> right like, you know, it is <laughs> um, that was pretty funny opening for uh, Future Islands Future I Island, believe yeah. and. Um, so yeah, uh, Kiwi Jr. is a band that seems to, you know, sort of wholesale change its, uh, or tweak its sound. I shouldn't say change its sound, but, you know, I thought the last album that they, uh, put out was, um, you know, sounded an awful lot like they'd been listening to, um, a bunch of, uh, pavement records, uh, particularly sort of Slanted and Enchanted and Crooked Rain. And, um, you know we're well served by it. This one, um, you know, like I said, produced by Wolf Parade, you know, kind of reminds me of Wolf Parade a little bit with, um, you know, if they had spent a couple years listening to the first two Cars records. Um, there's a <laughs> lot of, you know, really punchy, good, hooky rock songs um, punctuated with sort of Greg Hawks-ish um, keyboard, uh, you know, frills that... Uh, sound that always works for me it's like power pop with synthesizers um i'm in so um you know i i um you know there was not really a standout for me single wise on this album it just i feel like to start you know start to finish it just is kind of an incredibly enjoyable listenable record um maybe as i get a little more acquainted because it's only been out for a couple weeks um, I will, you know, I'll fall harder for some particular tracks, but, um, you know, it kicks off right away and, uh, you know, it just has that spirit of like a let's go by the cars or something like that. What do you think? Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, the the first, I, I liked, I think what was their first album? Was it Cool Hand? Like a cool something, I forget their album in 21, but it was cool something. Cooler um, Returns. Cooler Returns. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh. I thought that that record was good, but I did feel like it was a bit of a, you know, it had a little bit of a feel of a band that I could see, a local band doing stuff I like, you know, um, mm-hmm. but the album didn't totally grab me. Um, this one definitely is is slicker, and I think like, you know, Night Moves, that song is one, you know, you mentioned not having a single, that might be the single, that did like, it is a pretty ripping tune. Sometimes, um, I don't know, lyrically, they kind of let me down a little bit, and it's not because I need heavy lyrics or, or, you know, sort of introspective lyrics all the time. But I almost feel like they're a band that kind of makes the music and then throws, you know, lyrics down on top. It just sort of, and we'll pray. A second thoughts. Yeah, you know, it could be similar to that. But I, I think in general, this album's going to grow on me quite a bit. I, um, on my first listen, I think I, I went in it, into it a little bit skeptical, not loving the last one as much. And then, uh, and you know, sometimes that can cloud your opinion a little bit. And I actually mm-hmm, listened definitely. to it again and was like, oh, yeah, I don't know why I'm being so hard on this record. It's kind of exactly what you said, which is, you know, a, a really good power pop record. And, and, you know, it's very rare that I, I don't, uh, that doesn't tickle my, uh, you know, pleasure there. Fancy. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, the other thing, too, I would say is it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like a Supergrass album or something, too, you know, where it's it's a little understated. I don't know how to describe it. Like I always felt like Supergrass, who I liked a lot, was a little bit muted on record. Mm-hmm. Um, even though they kind of low in the mix. Yeah, and I feel like this has a little bit of that too. Um, where I bet this band is, is actually pretty ripping live, and you know, um, or at least like I just want I want to turn it up a little louder on the mix. Um, and and I think like Supergrass has that same kind of just unabashed pop sensibility and, and kind of power mm-hmm. pop sensibility, which is again never anything I'm going to complain about. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good comp, and I think, yeah, I mean, I remember seeing Supergrass and thinking the same thing, like, they need to turn it up a little bit, um, you know, it's, uh, 
there's a few, and I think, um, you know, I think the comps for this are kind of, you know, from the current crop rolling, um, blackouts, coastal fever kind of have the same vibe. Um, yeah. you know, historically speaking, I think there's on the new album, there's, you know, some, uh, you know, some pines to, you know, fellow Canadians, Sloan or new pornographers. Um, yeah. All good, all good things as far as I'm concerned. So no, 100%. Anyway. And we were talking about new pornographers this weekend and how great mass romantic is, but, um, yeah, it's it's a. I think it's a good record. I think it's definitely gonna grow on me, and one that uh, you know, I'm excited. Anybody carrying the power pop flag, we will uh, we will support. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of uh, somebody who's kind of puts out quite a bit of records and uh, can't really put a finger on you know what you would call this guy, I guess singer songwriter, but Cas McCombs also has a new one, and, and I sort of go in and out of his catalog depending on what style he is. Uh, he's kind of moving forward to he's, he's somebody who you know there's a lot of folks like this that i, I think are great um i wouldn't necessarily put Casman combs on the same level as like a will oldman or something like that but you know you can definitely jump into any part of their career and and be really intrigued and then you know it can take a, a u-turn in a totally different direction not always a bad thing but definitely um not always consistent in, in the sound that you're expecting and um I actually really like the new record. It's, uh, it's, it's, I think you nailed it. It's kind of got like a little bit of a yacht rock feel. It's called Heart Mind, came out uh, this year. Um, you know, his last record was 21, so he's, he's pretty consistent, you know, in putting out records. I, uh, I find this one to be sort of like, it, it's, it's easy listening in the best way. Um, it's, it's, you know, short songs, good songs, catchy um, not probably going to be like the most impactful thing you listen to, but, but something that you can pop on and, and just really enjoy. Yeah. He's old reliable at this point. It's yeah. kind of funny. Um, you know, and it kind of, you know, I guess if there's, again, if, there, if we're looking for comps from the current crop, you know, it's like a less, slightly less abrasive, uh, Kevin Morby. Um, right. you know, I really liked Kevin Morby's record from earlier this year and this, has a has some you know this is a cousin to that but it you know it is um but kevin in kevin morby's case i feel like he's kind of peaking and cas mccombs i feel like you know he's the wooderson of music he stays the same you know they the wooderson, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i fucked up that uh <laughs> that analogy but you know what i mean it's like yeah. It's kind of, he's on the same pace, and I've always liked what he does. Um, he's you know, a guy, too, a, that has, you know, a song or two that really hits a note that I dig. I don't know if it's like a, you know, actually kind of going back to Kiwi Jr., too, I think they they all have a little bit of, like, the clean in them or that kind of mm-hmm. uh, down under, you know, kind of Kiwi sound, hence the name, I guess, but um, in uh, Royal, uh, Rolling Blackouts, too, but... Um, you know, Cass McCombs a little less jangly, obviously, but he he nails like a couple tunes that really sound like a great like uh, independent '80s song or something that you know mm-hmm. you forgot about. You know, and, and um, yeah, like a feelies or something. Right. Yeah, and and just like his lyric delivery and his, his style of singing, I, I always dig. But yeah, I think this record again is like I, I probably will miss every other album by him. You know what I mean? It's like. Mm-hmm. You know, every other year I'll forget that it came out or, or not have listened to it, and then I pop back in, and I'm, I'm happy I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, you want to take a quick break? We'll uh, we'll throw on a uh, Night Vision by um, Kiwi Junior, and we'll come back and we'll talk about the Led Zeppelin book. Let's do it.
back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. We have been talking about some emerging artists, and um, in keeping with that theme, uh, there's a band called Led Zeppelin. Jared, yeah, I don't know if you know them. I just recently uh, stumbled upon <laughs> <Yeah>. a, <laughs> um, a lengthy yeah, biography. The, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the sort of, um, you know, the biggest band in the world has been a mantle that is, uh, you know, gets thrown around every decade or so, um, whether it's U2 Hint, or Hint, it's not 1975. But, you know, this band was the biggest band in the world for a decade, and um, they were monsters. And I mean that in the figurative sense and, and somewhat the literal sense. And uh, Bob Spitz has a new biography about them. Um, Excellent. You know, biography. you can quit. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, you can quibble with the fact that it was, you know, a lot of times if it's unauthorized, it's not particularly good. You don't get the cooperation or the insight of the players, but I feel like Bob Spitz is such a um, strong researcher and historian. Um, he's, I mean, he's written biographies of, you know, presidents and um, he is... He's truly a, a historian, rather you know, rather than a um, you know, a, God forbid, a fan of the band. He actually, um, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean, that I thought was something that brought a lot to the book, and, and I heard him on the Sound Opinions pod. He's not a fan of Led Zeppelin, or wasn't, <laughs> which yeah. I thought was pretty no, cool. I know. You know, I think he was relatively unfamiliar with them, and and so it does give you and it it is interesting because you know Led Zeppelin's first album came out when i was 2 months old um their last album came out you know uh their last actual album came out you know when you were 2 years old right um so it's you know they're they're i didn't really experience them in real time although i i have to say i did have a couple of 45s from the 70s that were Zeppelin songs that had hit the top 40, like All of My Love and Jamaica. Um, but, you know, they were a band that I experienced in retrospect. Um, and, you know, part of the part of this podcast is is sort of, you know, predicated on how, what, you know, how old you are when certain music hits and, you know, why we think it's interesting to, to talk to Christian and Jer about, uh, you know, music that, you know, I was in college for, and Christian uh, is looking at, and retrospectively, like I look at Led Zeppelin. Um, anyway, Led Zeppelin is a legendary band. Um, you know, their output was insane. Um, they put out one and two in 69. They put out three in 74 and 71. Has of the Holy, 73. Physical Graffiti, 75. I mean, this is a band that was just so prolific and so massive in their... Um, ambitions and and um you know their presence they were uh they were just colossal and they were you know they were the first band that was touring you know really football stadiums and and yeah they changed having no problem they tr- changed the way tours were were you know the way people toured they way people sounded live the technology behind it i mean they drove all sorts of things the way band you know peter grant famously changed the way bands were booked and, um, you know, put the power back in the hands of the artists. Um, for, for better and for worse. And some for better and here. worse, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and they're, you know... and Everything was extreme that, with these guys. You yeah. Know, was, I mean, just to kind of go back on the generational thing, I think, you know, you certainly grew up, you know, as a young... You were young in the 70s, and, and like you said, you had a couple singles, things like that, but every, I feel like, kid who gets into music or, you know, um, gets to at least... Uh, has get, their Zeppelin phase. Gets through 7th or 8th grade. Yeah, has yeah. a Zeppelin phase. And I know, you know, for me, my intro to them was actually the later album, the ones that probably you heard as a kid, which was in Through the Outdoor, um, because that was the album you kind of liked because you were probably, uh, you know, sorry to speak for you here, but, you know, that was the one you were aware of and, and, and kind of dug and... And, you know, I remember my, my friend's mom in New Jersey, you know, single mom who, who had, you know, Led Zeppelin 2 on vinyl and, and him popping that on and it blew, blew my mind, you know. And I think that's, that's Zeppelin, right? I mean, there's not a kid who, you can't deny what they are when you first hear them. And I think especially for, I mean, I guess this is probably maybe a stupid thing to say at this point, but, you know, there's a male thing about them too. And I think they kind of had... Mm-hmm that like a rite of passage sort of thing going on yeah 
Yeah, it's it's interesting for you know to listen to read about them now, um, because you know for me that that band is such a musical unit. Um, you know, I never really. You know, I mean, I knew who played what instrument, but I, you know, I, I just, you know, it doesn't hit me at a time when I was critically picking apart who was playing what, what the different sounds were, you right. know. How advanced um, you know, it the, was for the... The division time. of labor, you know, and, and you know, you you just know they got great riffs and, and you know, they have a great guitar player and a great singer and, and you don't really know much about, you know, the rhythm section, which was, you know, as good as any ever in rock and roll. Um, but you know, and, and it's just a, it, it's weird to find out what, how little of a unit they were as people. Um, mm. I find that as, as interesting as anything. I mean, they were, they were a business concern. It seems like, I mean, that they definitely became that. Well, actually, no, I mean, they were, yeah, it was, it was a super group really. I mean, it was a handpicked thing with Jimmy Page who, you know, also Jimmy learning Page was a professional. Yeah, Sessions guy, and so was John Paul Jones. And I think that was some of the, you know, just to kind of talk about the book a little bit, like for me at least, and, and my experience reading it was you you realize, and, and, you know, I think I knew this in theory, but didn't know how sort of protected and secretive Led Zeppelin was, right? Like, you know everything, or you think you know everything about the Beatles at this point, you know, you, you, you kind of... Even the Stones yeah, have always been sat in, in the, the studio with them for eight hours over Thanksgiving. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> and, um... You know, the you know, the Stones or even the Who, you know, have this sort of like, um, you know, Pete Townsend's, you know, kind of writing and, and you know, uh, abuse history and stuff like that. I mean, there's just a lot of information and, and Zeppelin is, is kind of this mysterious Locked act up. and it was both on purpose and, and you know, um, but also to your point, like, you know, Jimmy Page was the guy who played, he, he always knew he couldn't sing and, but he was, you know, hands down probably the best guitar player in England at the time and the U S probably too. And, and he was a professional and, and John Paul Jones. And so how they went about it was like, you know, handpicking, you know, Robert plan and then yeah. hearing this drummer. Hire Bono. People. Yeah. yeah. And it was, and it, and it sort of stayed that way. Um, I think initially there was a magic that kind of happened and they were like, Holy shit, we got something. There was some excitement, but it quickly, yeah, you're right. It quickly kind of divulged into this sort of almost like brutal job, <laughs> you know, by the end. Yeah. That, that really destroyed a lot of them, obviously, Bono especially. Yeah, I think they were, you know, they were different ages. I mean, it's not wildly different ages, but it, it you know, makes a big difference at the time. I mean, you know, if you're 26 and someone's 19, it's not, you have very little experience. I mean, Plant and Bonham had never really left their hometown, um, per se. I mean, they toured a little bit, but, you know, they were 19 years old. And yeah. um, they get hired by this, you know, you know, the best musician in, in the country, um, you know, to do, to kind of execute his vision. And, um, that's what happened. That's what they did. And John Paul Jones was along for the ride. Though actually, you know, the hopscotch around, but I think my favorite anecdote in the entire book, because John Paul Jones does come off as such a non-entity, um, just a absolute, you know, workhorse in the, you know, musically in the band, but really comes off as kind of like a, Non, like not having yeah, much he's of a not personality. getting in much trouble. He's not. Um, he's not. Yeah, he's not an instigator. Like force, you know. Yeah, he's just a guy who wants to go home and hang out with his family, pretty much. But um, but the funniest thing I thought was when they, you know, when the hotels are mobbed. I believe it might have been. Oh, and he could just York. walk through. <laughs> and they could. They just walked him through the lobby, and nobody noticed. Yeah, no, um, that was great. And also when they like sort of try and dress a little like new wave at the end of the career, and, and John Paul Jones is just like in some sort of like pirate blouse and jeans or something. They're just like, what the fuck is this guy wearing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, you know, they do have these very distinct personalities. I mean, you know, Plant was the sex god. Uh, you know, Page was the the, the musical genius slash dark, you know, brooding black magic dude. Um, I mean, you realize too, when you read this book, how much, you know, how many, how much their story has uh, become the, you know, the, the stuff of rock tropes. I mean, almost famous is obviously, you know, a pair of, you know, parallel of, of their story and, you know, Cameron Crowe was sent to interview Zeppelin and did have a falling out with them and then did, you know, so that is kind of, they are, um, you know, the band in question in, uh, 
and cleverly yeah, the they're golden, included. The golden god, you know. Versus, yeah, and cle- yeah, you know, cleverly they're included, or they're name checked in the movies. So as we are not to think that you know this is about Led Zeppelin, uh, I think they um, cross paths backstage at one show with Led Zeppelin, so that we know that they're not. Um, that's not who they are. But you know, I mean, all the the golden god stuff and. Um, you know, that was actually something that was said out loud. Um, <laughs> I mean, the abuse of groupies is, is really grim. Um, yeah. It takes on a whole different um, sort of light at this point. Um, the under it, I mean, it's just, they're, the, it's, the whole behavior pattern is, is pretty vile. I can understand why Led Zeppelin doesn't want to revisit um, their heyday. It's it's pretty damning. It's yeah. But it, it's pretty incriminating, like literally jail time incriminating. And um, but I think I think Bob Spitz, to his credit, is um, because he wasn't steeped in Led Zeppelin lore, and because he wasn't a huge fan of the band, does give you kind of a, a pretty strong basis for why they were great musically, um, because he is coming into it with uh, without um, prior prejudice of having listened to him his whole life, he is able to sort of dissect what made them phenomenal musically. And, and that's worth checking out, I think. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I think one of the really cool things that he does is he sort of gives you the good, the bad, the ugly, and no, um, not, not, not one of those outweigh the other, you know what I mean? So it's... Um, you fully get the musical impact and genius of this band, you know, like mm-hmm. I would say like funny Christian or, or uh, third brother who's not on today is probably the biggest Zep fan out of all three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and Very I think, so. you know, for you and me, it was a little bit of like a rebellion against like jock rock and shit like that. Um, and just, they were just so ubiquitous. Yeah. yeah. They were just so ubiquitous when I was a kid. Like, they didn't even sound like songs to me anymore. No. They, you know, I mean, something like Rock and Roll or Live and Love and Made or, or um, you know, they were just, or Black Dog particularly, or Stairway to Heaven. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> I was sick of those songs before. Even I before I was uh, in high school, them. you know. And it was, yeah. the other thing too, I think, is that it's it's because they don't have a lot of like, it's not an album that they've unearthed, you know, or I'm sorry, not a band that they've unearthed, you know, uh, albums and albums worth of, you know, kind of unlistened to music. You no, heard everything, and everything was that good that it was a hit, you know? So it's like, yeah. when you listen no, to classic a, rock radio growing up in New Jersey, you heard fucking every Led Zeppelin song on the radio, you know? It was not... Yeah, this well, this sent me back to listening to these albums in full, and it's like, there are certain songs where you're like, okay, that band... I mean, you listen to, like, The cr- the Crudge, yeah. and it's like, oh, that's, that's the entirety of the Red Hot Chili Peppers... 100%. You know, yeah, discography saying out on the tiles I was like oh my god this is like a you know the queens in the stone age first two albums you know and, and yeah one song and i think that was what was really cool for me reading this book is is you know having been i i, I think led zeppelin's fantastic not at all i've never not thought that they were one of the best bands ever i just couldn't listen to them anymore at a certain point in my life and uh i felt like i'd kind of been there and there was other bands that i felt like i was still discovering a lot of times even like the Stones or somebody like that, you know, I, I didn't hear like Exile as much when I was a kid or something, you know. No. And um, and so this really brought me back too. And, and and the other thing that he did a great job in is is just how revolutionary this music was. I mean, nobody. Mm-hmm. I, I I think we both are fans of that and, and brother 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 in general. But like, there's a time and place for anything, right? It's like the Ramones sound like you know, fifties uh, you know surfer pop right now, but. There was like in the midst of you know Led Zeppelin in 1976, you know it was it was completely you know, yeah it was shattering kind of the norm and uh, and Zeppelin the same way you know you sort of peace and love and and you know tender you know whatever flower power had had died and they took sex drugs and rock and roll and, and made it you know the next level I mean they really took like you know their obsession with the blues and and I'll get into kind of some of their their batter behavior too but like their obsession with the blues they took those blues subjects and and rev them to a, a whole new world whole new audience you know and um you know and then i think what spitz does a great job of showing how much they sort of didn't give credit to where credit was due you know all these people that they sort of loved and, and they ripped off a lot of blues artists um 
I got the feeling that he most of the knowledge, the information in this book was was firsthand. I know he had had some conversations with Zeppelin. Oh and, no, he he's very well researched. Yeah, and, and you know I know that he spoke to. It's just not. They backed you know, out actually when yeah. certain things came up, but I, I know he had conversations with Plan at least and some of the others. Um, and then yeah, the behavior where you kind of grow up and it's like, you know, the Spinal Tap, you know, joke of it all, but also just kind of like the you know, the, the rock and roll, like, you know, groupies and stuff like that. And you're like, Oh my God, man, you know, like have this, these people are 15 years old, you know, or 16 mm-hmm. years old. And, and, uh, and there's really no innocent person, you know, um, their famous manager, Pete Green is, is obviously like, you know, just an interesting, scary and, uh, you know, he was a thug. Yeah. I mean, Peter thug. Grant, he's, At, but he was also, you know, I mean, he, he also changed the industry forever and, yeah. You know, but he was, he did it through brutality. I mean, he no, brutality the out of and then, you know, some innovation and, and like, you know, yeah, but mostly sheer force. But, um, mm-hmm. but the other thing too is just like, so you have that kind of like revolutionary music that's blowing up the world. The critics hated it because they were still stuck in the, in the, in the last generation, and, which, and because, and because they didn't suck up to the critics. I mean, that true, was a yeah. lot, large part of it. Yeah. And that's um, why there was, there was no antipathy. Oh yeah, there was a, a. I mean, it was almost like the, the Trump policy against media, um, but they um, not to compare them to Trump, but in that sort of mentality, the media is bad unless they're saying good things. But I think too, the media did think they were a bit of a. You know, it was. It's like that that old guard. We kind of joke about like the early '90s and, and '80s, where you know MTV is still playing Don Henley videos, yet like and not playing hip hop. You know what I mean? Or Michael Jackson mm-hmm. or things like that. And and I think there was a bit of that, like just holding on to that '60s mentality. Yeah, there too. There was. There was a. I mean, they they blew up hippie culture, like sing. You know. Oh God. Yeah. A, and that was where everybody was living. You know, that's where everything was cool, and they were. You know, they were. They stomped on it. You and know, they, knew that. They I, I think too, where he he is sort of genius. It was just knowing that America was the market. You know. Mm-hmm. And that like Americans are gonna love this shit, <laughs> and yeah. you know they're gonna eat it up. But um, but the other thing he Spitz does a great job on is is you know like it's a depressing book too, you know, and it, it's a mm-hmm. sad book in a lot of ways. Like drugs and and the excesses of this band were really damaging, not only to the the people they abused and and took advantage of, but also to and nobody's really innocent there, even those that you know kind of just didn't say anything. But um, but also to like the amount of cocaine and, 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 and you know, and, and in the late seventies, especially just, you know, deteriorating lives. And it, it's mm-hmm. a, it's one of those books that, you know, is not for a band that I've always thought of as good times, bad times, you know, like just a rocking party. Right. Um, you really just, he does a great job and you know, it's not a story that hasn't been told before, but just the dark side of that. And I think the thing that is kind of, interesting too is a lot of times like the front man dies right like Kurt Cobain heroin addict shoots himself Jimi Hendrix dies young you know with not a lot of output but these guys went for a while you know pretty much Mm -hmm. a decade uh, you know a little over a decade I guess if you count like the 69 part and then you know almost exactly a decade really. yeah exactly a decade and, and sort of faded at the end a little bit but but there was, you know, they were all alive until Bono famously, you know, died. Bonzo, but it was, yeah. Yeah, Bonzo. And it was, uh, Bono, sorry. Um, but it was, you know, so you got to really see prolonged paranoia and destruction and stuff like that. And that, mm-hmm. that was that was different for me reading about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, weirdly enough, and you know this, but my, our uncle, my uncle, John, uh, lived down the road from Peter Grant in uh, East Sussex and used to have drinks with him occasionally, um, didn't really, uh, didn't meet, you know, sort of in the music, through music, they just happened to be neighbors. And, neighborhood and, pub. <laughs> yeah, so Horse Lungs, I was actually over there in June, and, you know, I realized how close Peter Grant's Horse Lungs was from Uncle John's house, and it was, uh, but yeah, they used to hang out at the Star Waldron, uh, a little pub in East Sussex. So it was, um, you know, I felt, I always felt like a, I don't know, a connection to this band because, because of that. And then, um, you know, on top of it, it was, uh, um, you know, you just, it was unavoidable. Like I said, it, you know, I remember sitting, I remember the first time I heard, um, Stairway to Heaven 
it was one of those like like we did a, a few years ago. We did like a pie into the uh, Labor Day weekend top 500 rock songs of all time that FM stations used to do every year. And I remember yeah. the first time I ever listened to that was at my dad's house in Berkeley when he was married to his second wife. And um, I was like, oh, I can't wait to find out what's number one. And his wife, you know, not in a bad way, but just in a way that sits with you when you're like six years old or whatever. She just goes, well, you know, it's going to be fucking Stairway to Heaven. It's always fucking Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. People are sick of this already. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's great. I mean, even, you know, just brings my, you know, that version of that with nothing to do with uh, uh, other people, but that, you know, Wayne's World, right? Like, you know, it was just no, sort yeah. of like, no stairway to heaven, you know, in the guitar yeah. shop. It's a, that's a great joke. <laughs> it is great, you know, and, and I think like, and also, you know, as much as I, I could care less if I ever hear Stairway to Heaven again, it's a fucking crazy song it's like yeah. you know and when the drums kick in and things yeah. like that starts with a re- starts with a recorder yeah exactly you know? yeah. it's it's uh, it's nuts and uh, you know it gave me actually kind of a new respect i mean let's up on four is probably the album i really don't want to ever hear as much as other albums and um you just realize how fucking kick-ass that album is you know yeah. not I, I didn't need to realize it but you know what i mean like it, it brings you back to like no you're like it yeah. has this and this and this. Yeah, and, and I this. forgot it has this. Oh God, yeah, and the levee breaks, right? Oh Jesus, you know. Like, yeah, it's just killer. You, I, I think it's hard to imagine, you know, being however old in nineteen seventy, uh, you know, nineteen seventy one, and just dropping the needle on the record and hearing that set of songs and that succession, oh, yeah. and that's kind of what this book did for me. Is kind of took me back and it allowed me to sort of, you know, that sense of discovery that comes with stuff that has, I've heard, you know, that truly is like wallpaper to me. You yeah, know, like, and I think in the same sense that like somebody studying like, you know, Coltrane or something can like hear those notes differently when you, you read something like this and it, it's like going yeah. back and and kind of hearing what he's talking about was really cool because, you know, his the drumming was so unique. The bass playing was so good. The guitar riffs were so good. And I, you know, I gave Zeppelin a lot of credit actually too. I post this book for not sticking with the same. I mean, they could have played a whole lot of love in a trillion different forms, you know? And I mean, mm-hmm. to some degree they kind of did, but they also, um, you know, really did try new things, you know? And I, I think it's yeah. a band that like, unlike a lot of, you know, their peers, you know, really didn't swing and miss a lot. I mean, sometimes fans were a little let down because it was a little softer, a little, um, you know, different direction, but you know, they weren't afraid to try shit and do things differently. And, and I think Jimmy Page says throughout, you know, is one of his big beefs with criticism of their albums, you know, rather, whether that was right or wrong, but, um, is that like, look, we're not, you know, we're not Led Zeppelin two, you know, every album, like Mm -hmm. we, we want to grow and fucking change. No, I, I love the idea that, you know, people were bummed that, you know, Zeppelin Three was a pastoral record of, you know, yeah. English folk. And like the first song on that album is an immigrant, immigrant song. song. <laughs> yeah, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's like one of the most screaming songs ever written, you know. It's, it's, uh, and, you know, you see how Robert Plant kind of developed his own style and, and as Jimmy kind of faded back with, with heroin and things like that, you, you, you know, it's, it, it kind of goes on. But yeah. I mean, bags of money, bags of drugs, uh, lots of misbe- misbehavior is even a, a light way to yeah, say it. Lots of criminal behavior and, and uh, you know, what today would definitely hopefully be called out and, and uh, not taking into account. And, you know, it also did strike me too is like um, just the way the media and the way that rock critics in general treated bands like this and uh, – you know, there was a lot, as much as they had a war against media, you know, and critics, they also had a, you know, a paid off sort of contingent of people that, that looked the other way and got sexual favors and drugs and things like that. And you think too, like, you know, the Stones are, this book will, you know, make you pretty disgusted in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, the Stones, who I, I sort of am a big fan, I'm a bigger Stones fan than I am Zeppelin fan, you know, they're just as gross. And, you know, it's just that they charm the press in a different way. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and things weren't called out then. There was a time and place. It was different. It's not like you can hindsight. You can yeah, you don't. Like, current rules don't apply, but no. you do. You do sense that you know Mick Jagger knew how to play the press and and Jimmy and Page Keith too. Fuck. You know, and they even talk yeah. about it in this. They're like, you know, Keith Richards would walk down the street and say hey to any fan who said something to him, and, and yeah, still uh, still does. Yeah, and then you know where Jimmy Page like would 
get, you know, they would walk around with five thugs around them and just get in and out as quick as they could. Yeah. Getting in and out of limos and flip people off, you know. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, it, either way, I think it was a pretty fascinating read. Um, I love it. I highly recommend yeah. it. I think it's a, it's a good Christmas I also was, book. <laughs> yeah, I was in Greece when I read it, so it was kind of interesting reading about Robert Plant's near-death experience and roads and, and, you know, I mean, I realize, you know, I mean, you've been over there. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, you know, waiting three hours to get to a hospital when your wife is about, you know, has just been in a serious car accident is, you know, wracking, but it's going to happen. You know, it's like you're not you get the feeling that, you know, there was, there was real tragedy in that guy's life after a while. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, um, at the end he kind of comes across, you know, everybody is likable for a minute in the book and very dislikable for most of it. But, um, Mm -hmm. but I think plan in the end comes across as a little more introspective towards the end there. And, and, uh, you know, rightfully so, you know, kind of, kind of called the band too, you know, um, mm-hmm. just like I'm not doing this shit anymore and had, had yeah. his reasons yeah and then you know I think there's you know obviously there was the there's a waning desire for them to reunite but for a long time there was a huge amount of pressure for them to reunite and he was like no nah, not gonna yep. do it and we're not as good as we we're not gonna be as great as we used to be and that's why we're not doing it basically well, and I, yeah, I do always appreciate that. I mean, I, I think the Stones, who I like a lot and just mentioned, are, are such a joke now, you know? Like, you would really have to pay me to go see them or have it be free, you know? And uh, mm-hmm. and I just, like, Zeppelin definitely held their own. They didn't replace uh, Bonham. They didn't, you know, they they stuck to their guns on that. I mean, they've had some mini reun- reunions. And they played, like they played on each other's shit before. They just didn't, you know, they did that one... O2 Arena, um, and I had a couple friends that went to that, said it was fantastic, but, yeah. you know, I don't want to see that. No, definitely not. Well, cool. Well, I uh, highly recommend the Zep book, and uh, you want to go out on a Zep tune and end this like we always end it? Yes. What do you want to hear there? Out on the Tiles. Let's do Out on the Tiles. Nice. <laughs> Brother, brother, brother podcast. We are going to end this episode the way we end every episode. Jared, what are you listening to? All right. Well, since we talked about music, I'm going to go off uh, music and I'm going to say that uh, a couple things. Um, I've been uh, actually, I am going to go music really quickly. I went and saw Built a Spill last week, uh, right before the Labor Day weekend, and just uh, really enjoying their new singles. That album should be coming out soon. And it's just a band that's been kind of in my life since the early 90s. Um, and it was, it was great to see them. And it was also great to see just kind of a real mixed crowd at the show at the paradise in Boston. It was, they still really pull a lot of young fans, which is cool. Um, and I think that's just consistently putting out stuff. total guitar nerds. Yep. It was like a, uh, you know, rush concert of indie rockers. But, um, the other thing is, uh, I've been pretty much three quarters done with the, the nineties, which is the new Chuck Klosterman book. Um, I, uh, I actually have not read any Chuck Klosterman. I enjoy his take on things, and I, I'm like really fond of his some of his articles and interviews that he's written, or, or I've read or heard from him in podcasts and things like that. Um, but I haven't I haven't jumped in a book. And having being a creature of the '90s, it being my sort of uh, late teens and twenties, um, early twenties, I just kind of felt like uh, why not? And uh, it, it's interesting. It, it's a pretty good book. It's uh, it's got a lot of things to look back on and and just you know, I guess getting older, you sort of reflect on your, your generation a little bit. And, um, 
it really is truly kind of the last generation of people that stepped in both worlds, you know, where um, information and, and things like that were certainly advancing and moving quickly, but you still remembered having like a rotary phone and, and stuff like that. So um, there's a lot of good music takes on that and a lot of stuff on the early internet. And uh, I think it, it's a pretty cool book. And the other one was um, speaking of debauchery on your recommendation. I did watch the Woodstock doc, um, mm, the, uh, right. the train wreck, the good one, the three part. Yeah. yeah, the good one. Exactly. And uh, another thing that, you know, 99 was that, and uh, it, um, it was something that, you know, I had completely, I was probably, gosh, in my 21 or something, I can't remember, 22, maybe 23, who knows. But anyways, it was um, it was something that I could ignore back then, you know, but I remember reading about and, and kind of speaking to the, the media thing, you know, I think I had internet at work or something. I didn't, I didn't at all, like, you know, pop online at home. So I probably read, like, a spin article on what a shit show that was, but a really great doc, and, you know, you just see how gross the promoters were and uh, just how gross the scene was, and yet, like, you know, for those who went, they would do it again. But uh, it's it's pretty great, and then a time and place for bands that I, I did not have to uh, suffer through, like, Christian uh, bands like Korn and, and Limp Bizkit, and who, like, not having listened to, I gotta say, like... As much as I, you know, I don't think I'd be a fan of their music, they kind of rock live. I was like, wow, those those bands are, are pretty fucking loud and pretty pretty good. Yeah. Like the the amount of uh, you know, like the wave of mosh pit going on at that place was was pretty intense. So uh, highly recommended. It was good. And uh, is that on Hulu? I should probably have looked. Before it's I on Netflix. I believe. Netflix. That's right. Yeah. Good doc. What about you? What yeah. are you listening to? Um, I guess I'm sort of. TV based. I've been watching a lot of the U.S. Open because I'm. I feel like I've. I'm at that point again. Uh, like I was, you know, towards the tail end of the lockdown, where I feel like I've watched everything there is to watch on television. But I'm going to give a shout out to um, one of my favorite people working in entertainment today, Sharon Horgan. Um, I love Bad Sisters on Apple Plus. It is um, a very funny. Dark show about a group of Irish sisters who uh, team up to uh, off one of the sisters' horrible husbands. And I have to say, as much as uh, I'm loath to admit it, I am enjoying the shit out of Klaus Bangs' performance as the asshole um, husband of one of the sisters. He's just such a dick. (laughs) <laughs> and he's so good at it. I mean, this is a guy who's played like Dracula um, on television, and and uh, he's a Danish actor, very dark. But he's so good at just playing the like the apex of dicks um, that you are. You know, it, he he just does it so deadpan and so funny, and it just so cruelly that um, you know he's the real standout. It's a, it's a great ensemble show. It shouldn't single him out so much. The sisters are great, too. Sharon Horgan um, plays one of the sisters. Um, Eve Houston, um, who's Bono's daughter, who was uh, terrific in The Nick, um, plays another. And um, all the sisters are great, but it just... It, so you're digging sort of, that. That's Because uh, I think the first episode you liked, and but um, you said he was... I liked very, it, I think... I had super high expectations and, um, you know, sometimes your enjoyment can be, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, tempered by, you know, your high expectations. I mean, I read about this a while ago and I was like, are you shitting me? You were fans of hers from the catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge catastrophe fan and I'm a huge fan of hers in general. So, um, anyway, that's my recommendation. Um, and then, you want to pop something on the playlist? Uh, yeah. The uh, 8 trillion, 10 best songs of all time? Let's do it. Um, I'm going to do two today, just because um, nice. I, I was going to do this one no matter what, but I'm going to do House of the Holy by Led Zeppelin. Um, nice. Which is a, just a fucking awesome song, and I had forgotten how awesome it is. And doesn't appear on House of the Holy, a physical graffiti song, which I knew but didn't. Correct. Had, had to be reminded of. And then, sorry, the other one is, uh, I think this is the Cass McComb song that I love, um, That's That. And uh, if it isn't, I'm going to replace it with the one that I, I, uh, I'll find it, but I'm going to put the Cass McComb song on there too. Okay. That sounds good. Um, yeah, I'm going to put a song on that, uh, by an artist that's very, um, sadly, a uh, relatively obscure artist who, you know, had a, one of those horrible... Uh, 
career arcs like Big Star and was never fully discovered in the way that he should have been, but um, in uh, now the, in uh, posthumously is is sort of being rediscovered, and that's Emmett Rhodes. And oh yeah, I'm going to put on Somebody Made for Me by Emmett nice. Rhodes. The the man who was referred to as the one man Beatles. Yeah, that's so cool. I think uh, weirdly I got you and I popped on to his uh, retrospective around the same time, and uh, I put that song on like a million playlists already. So cool. I will cool. pop those on, and yeah, it's been fun, and let's, awesome. uh, let's do it again soon. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother 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 podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.